All right, you guys ready for the word this morning? All right, let's get into it. My name is Pastor Jake. I'm the lead pastor here at Great Oaks. It's my honor and privilege to unpack for you and with you the word of God. Today, Exodus chapter 14. If you have your Bible, you can head over there, and we'll get there in just a moment. But let me ask you a question uh, before we get into the text. Have you ever panicked? Has anybody ever just panicked before? Just freaked out, just flipped out, totally panicked. Three or four of you here in Germantown have panicked. I see a lot of Washington people panicking. Um, Lots of panic going on in Washington. I'm just kidding. So uh, I'm not a a guy, a person given to panic or fear or worry a lot. Uh, I've never had a panic attack. Some of you have experienced that. I've never had to experience that before. I'm usually pretty even keel uh, most of the time. Uh, And so uh, I'm not one given to panic. But when I think about panic, uh, I I think about a few things that have happened in my life. Uh, I have panicked before. And I, I remember panicking when I lost sight of my, my kid, you know, at a, at a crowded place, a grocery store. And I'm like, I just lost my kid. And then it's like one second they're there, the next second they're gone, and the third second they're back. And so the, the panic was like pretty short-lived, but that one second was panic-filled. But the, the story I think about when I think about panic is this one. I, my, my wife and I were on vacation one time, uh, just us, and uh, we were at Outback Steakhouse, eating steak. And you don't probably don't know this about my wife, Erin, but she, she's thin, but she can take down pounds of steak if you let her, all right? She will just take that. It has nothing to do with my story. But so we were at Outback Steakhouse enjoying our steak, and I was probably enjoying it a little too much because um, I got a piece of steak lodged in my throat. And, and you, you've had things get, food get lodged in your throat before, right? A little bit, you know, get stuck a little bit. That got stuck in my throat. You just grab a, a, you know, a glass of water or your drink or whatever you drink it and, it, and it goes down, right? And you're okay. Well, I tried to do that. I didn't panic. I tried to do that. And then, uh, but, but the, the liquid that I drank just came right back up because there was no, there was no room in my throat uh, for this to, to go down. And, and so I started, I started choking and I couldn't breathe. And Erin, you, you don't know this about her probably, but she is someone you want next to you in an emergency situation, okay? She is like super calm. I don't know why. She's super calm. She knows exactly what to do. She takes charge. Like you can't get her to, it's maddening getting her to decide which restaurant you're gonna go to. Uh, but once you're there, if you choke, you want her there, all right? So that's, that's kind of how it was. And so she, I started choking and she just calmly and in, in, in an even tone asked me, are you, are you choking? Then I was like, and she immediately moved to action. She got me out of the booth. She told the server, hey, he's choking. You need to get some help. And then she began to perform the Heimlich on me in Outback Steakhouse. <laughs> it was interesting. All right, this is interesting. The problem was that she's like a buck 20. And I have muffin tops that are a buck 20. And so I just... It wasn't working, you know? And so there was a, a couple in maybe they're in their 50s that had just gotten up uh, from a booth nearby and was kind of leaving in that same aisle that I was dying. And, <laughs> and they, they saw us and, and this guy kind of had a smirk on his face and he's thinking like, what is going on? What are these people doing, you know? And he's just watching us and Aaron goes, he's about my size and Aaron says, he's choking, can you help him? 
And he just kind of smirks, and he's like, is this for real? I could tell on his face, he's like, are you kidding me right now? Is this a joke? Is this some kind of a prank or something? And so luckily, he had a wife that was also decisive in the moment, and so she's like, help him. And so he grabs me, and then he starts to try to do the Heimlich on me, and spoiler alert, I lived, okay? I lived, I made it, it worked, okay? I, I survived, but I remember when I was, when I was choking, I couldn't, I couldn't breathe, and I, I remember I, I just started thinking, like, how long can I go without oxygen? How long is it going to take for an ambulance to get here? It turns out that the server that was supposed to call an ambulance or get somebody who knew what they were doing, she had just walked back to the kitchen and just done nothing <laughs> because she was frozen by fear and indecision, right? But I was thinking, man, how long before I lose too much oxygen in this situation? And as Smirky Steve started to give me the Heimlich, I was thinking, man, what's going to happen to my kids? What's going to happen to Aaron if I die? And I just started, this panic just started to build inside of me as I thought, I may die here at Outback Steakhouse of all places. This isn't the way I want to go. And I lived, but for about a year after that, anytime I would get something stuck in my throat, just a small thing stuck in my throat, that panic would return so quick. I mean, it would just rise up in me like that. There wasn't anything you could see on my face if you were eating with me, but I wasn't hearing what you were saying in that moment because I'm thinking, I'm about to die, and then the, the food goes down, and that panic was just there for a long time. Have you, have you ever panicked before? Have you ever felt like you were up against impossible odds, like there was no way out and you just freaked out? Maybe it was, maybe you're choking. Maybe you got in a car wreck or something like that. Maybe it was more of an emotional deal where, you know, you're having trouble with your kid or your parent or, or some other family member and you're just panicking, like this is not going the way I want it to go. Maybe it's a financial crisis or illness or a job loss or something like that, but you can't see your way out of it. When you're in those moments, fear takes over, doesn't it? I mean, fear just all of a sudden takes over. The voice of fear, the volume on the voice of fear is cranked up to this unbearable level and it's all you can hear. Fear drowns out anything else. It dominates your mind and you can feel your own pulse just beating in your mind and with every beat, it's like a, a hammer driving that nail of fear deeper into your soul. You panic. We're in a series of messages called Rescued on the Old Testament book of Exodus. This is week three. And this, is, this, is, this event in history in the book of Exodus, it, can, it really has the power to transform your life. It's this epic tale of gods and kings and miracles, wonders and signs. And, and this is this amazing book of the Bible. Uh, but for time's sake, I'm not able to touch on every single verse. And so every week, I'm giving you some homework. Make sure you read the chapters that we talk about that week. So this week, your homework is just to read chapters 13 and 14, just two chapters, chapters 13 and, and, I'm sorry, chapters 14 and 15, I should say, two chapters, chapters 14 and 15. But so far in this, um, in this story, in this account, 
Um, God has raised up in Moses this deliverer to deliver his people Israel out of slavery in Egypt, out from under the tyranny of Pharaoh, and he's made it to where Pharaoh has hardened his heart against these ten plagues that God brings. And and each time Pharaoh hardens his heart, God kind of ups the ante a little bit and shows his glory and his might and his power and his superiority even more and more and more. And then the last plague that we covered last week, the firstborn of every Egyptian, uh, every Egyptian household was killed. Um, Pharaoh himself had death in his own house. And so it was this sad night. It was this night that was, it was bloody and messy and terrible, but the Israelites were saved. They were shown mercy as long as they put the blood of the Passover lamb on their doorpost. And this story, the story in Exodus, at the center of it is, is blood. Blood is at the center of this story. And if you're a Christ follower or you want to be, blood is at the center of your story as well. So if you missed that message, make sure you get it on iTunes or our website so that you can catch up. But Pharaoh, in his anguish, says to Moses, get out, get out of Egypt. Take all your people, all your kids, all your livestock and just go. And so 600,000 men, over a million people all told, get up and in the middle of the night and they go, they head out of Egypt, they grab what they can grab and they start to march into the desert. They're led miraculously by a pillar of smoke during the day and a pillar of fire at night. And so it kind of seems like at this point in the story, like, okay, they made it. Like Pharaoh's out. He's, he, he lost. He lost against God and, and his plagues and all of that. But, but that's not true yet because at the beginning of chapter 14, God tells Moses, hey, I want you to camp. I want the people to camp next to the Red Sea. And I'm going to allow Pharaoh to pursue you and try to kill you so that once and for all, I can show my might and my glory over Pharaoh. And so Pharaoh kind of wakes up. He kind of wakes up. His senses wake up and he goes, man, I just let our biggest workforce go for nothing. And he, he starts to freak out. And so the Bible says that he sends all of his army, his chariots, his horses, his horsemen, his soldiers, he sends all of his army to go after the Israelites and to catch them uh, before they leave. And so look at verse 14, or look at chapter 14, 14, verse 10 in the book of Exodus. It says, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. So they see the Red Sea in front of them, Pharaoh's army coming behind them, and they begin to cry out. They just have this fear. They start, they start to panic. And look at what they say to Moses in verse 11. They said to Moses, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. So the Israelites are panicking, right? I mean, they are absolutely 
panicking. Fear has set in. The volume on the voice of fear is cranked up to where it's unbearable. They've forgotten all that God has done through the plagues and getting them to where they were. And they're going, listen, you should have left us in Egypt. I mean, what, do we have like a cemetery plot shortage in Egypt? And you just brought us out to the desert to find a grave for our bodies? Is that what's going on here? Full on panic mode. Fear and doubt have taken over and fear is saying you are going to die in this desert. You shouldn't have followed Moses. You should have stayed as a slave. You belong in Egypt as a slave. You're nothing more than a slave. You messed up and you're going to die in the desert. And they were trusting in, in what they could see, right? They were trusting in what they could see, the Red Sea in front of them, Pharaoh's army coming behind them. They panicked. It reminds me of, of another story in, in 2 Kings chapter 6. This is like 600 years after the Red Sea incident. And in this story, we have a prophet named Elisha and his servant. And they're in a similar situation as the, the Israelites were. They're surrounded by their enemy. This time it's not Egyptians, it's Syrians. And all they can see is just this huge army around them. All the servant can see is this huge army around them. And he thinks he's going to die. And so fear sets in and doubt sets in and he starts to panic. And the servant goes to Elisha and he goes, what are we going to do? Do you see all these? Our enemies have surrounded us. We are going to die. What are we going to do? And Elisha, he answers him. I'm in verse 16 of 2 Kings chapter 6. This way, he says, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, Oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Say this highlighted portion with me on three, okay? One, two, three. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. This servant was panicking. He didn't know what was going to happen. This is true. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them, but he couldn't see that. All he could see what was right in, what was what was right in front of him, that the enemies of his master, the prophet, the enemies of the Lord surrounding them, but he didn't know he didn't know that, that God's armies, chariots of fire, horsemen, angels, were surrounding those enemies and were going to protect him and fight for him. Elisha asked God to open his eyes, to open the eyes of the servant so that he could see, so that he could see, not with eyes of fear, but with eyes of faith, so that he could see the truth. Elisha asked God to open his eyes. I've been praying for you guys. The same prayer, that God would open your eyes to see, to see not just in the physical, but to see in the spiritual, to see not just through fear and doubt, but through faith and trust. I've been asking God to do the same thing for you. Look at, back at Exodus chapter 14, um, starting in verse 
13, let's see, what are we going to read? Yeah, verse 13, um, Moses says something very similar to what Elisha says to his servant in verse 13. He says to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians, whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord will fight for you. Stand firm and see. See the salvation of the Lord that is going to really see. Open your eyes and look through eyes of faith instead of eyes of fear. You need to silence yourself. Be silent. Silence the voice of fear and doubt that's just running rampant in your head. Turn down the volume of those voices and hear the whisper of faith. Hear what God is saying to you. Now, after this, after Moses says to them to stand firm, and they're, they're in between the, the Red Sea and, and Pharaoh's army, you guys, know, you guys know what happens in the rest of the story, right? Um, God causes his pillar of smoke to go between them, behind them, between them and Pharaoh's army. And then he, he, he causes a great wind to blow on the Red Sea, to blow the sea into two towering water, towering walls of water on the left and on the right. And the Israelites end up walking across the Red Sea on dry land. It's this amazing miracle that God does. Pharaoh's soldiers then figure they can do the same thing, and so they start to pursue the Israelites on that path between the two walls of water on dry ground through the Red Sea, and it doesn't work out for them. God closes the walls of water and they die. They end up dying. And then chapter 15 is a song that Moses leads the people of Israel in singing to the Lord. This week, make sure you read chapter 15 and read that song from Moses. But Miriam ends up jumping in. Miriam is Moses's sister, and she jumps in. And so I want to show you just the, towards the end of chapter 15, verse 19. Here's what it says. For when the horses of Pharaoh with chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry land in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Okay, so Israel makes it across the Red Sea. They escape Pharaoh for real right now. Pharaoh's soldiers and his armies are covered over by the waters of the Red Sea. The people make it. But that, that's kind of the overarching story. But let me, let me go back and point out two passages of Scripture to you in, in chapter 14, or a couple of them. Um, first, I want you to look at what God says to Moses in chapter 14, starting in verse 15. This is when, this is when the people are panicking. God, Moses has just told them, stand firm, be silent, let God do the work. And then Moses turns and he prays to the Lord. And here's what the Lord says uh, to Moses in verse 15. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. 
Lift up your staff. Stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. That the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry land. This is an interesting thing for God to say to Moses, isn't it? I mean, he's like, why are you crying to me, Moses? You cry, baby? Why are you crying to me? Did I tell you to stop? I didn't tell you to stop. Just keep going. Just raise your staff up and move the sea out of the way, Moses. Why are you crying to me? It's almost like God expected Moses just to know that he could do this amazing miracle and move, literally move the sea out of the way. It's, it's like God's going, haven't I already done enough? I mean, do you not get it? Haven't I done enough, Moses? Like, do you see that I'm pulling out all the stops here? Like, you remember the plagues that happened like weeks ago? Hey, do you, do you remember how on your way out of Egypt I had them give, them give you their silver and their gold? Hey, Moses, look behind you. You see that pillar of smoke, the miraculous pillar of smoke that leads you by day? Have you figured out yet, Moses, that I'm going to deliver you? I'm going to do it. I'm going to act on your behalf? What are you crying to me for? You see, the Israelites and, and Moses, to an extent, they hadn't, figured, they hadn't figured something out yet, or at least it hadn't sunk deep into their hearts and created any kind of faith yet. It was something that, something, a fact, a truth, that the Egyptian soldiers ended up putting words to, ended up solidifying. And so in verse 25 of chapter 14, the the Egyptian soldiers are following after the Israelites uh, through the Red Sea. There's water on each side of them. They figure they can go through just like the Israelites did. They're pursuing them. And, and the Bible says that God starts to make their equipment just fall apart. And so their stuff is just falling apart underneath them, literally. They can't go forward. They look at the water on the right and the left and they start to panic. The Egyptian soldiers are panicking now and they say this in verse 25 of chapter 14. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. The Lord fights for them. The Lord fights for them. It was, you see, the Israelites hadn't realized this or, or internalized this truth. Elisha's servant, he, did, he didn't get it. He didn't understand it. All of them had seen God do amazing things. The Israelites had seen God do miracles and signs and wonders and plagues and all of that. And yet, with the Red Sea in front of them and Pharaoh's army coming behind them, they reached inside of their selves, inside of their souls, and they found their only fear. They found their only fear and it, it caused them to panic because deep inside they were alone. It was up to them. Nobody was going to save them. If they didn't get through this sea, if they didn't defeat Pharaoh, nothing good was going to happen. They didn't believe that anybody was going to come and save them and their eyes couldn't lie, the sea in front of them, Pharaoh's army behind them. And in self-reliance, fear reigns supreme. 
It's in that fertile ground of self-reliance, that fear. It just grows and grows and grows like a weed overtaking a field. Because, listen, beloved, if it's all on you, what happens when you face something you can't handle? If it's all on you, what happens when you're not enough? I'll tell you what happens. You panic. You freak out. You run. You start blaming everybody else. You scream at your leaders. Why did you bring us here? Were there not enough graves in Egypt? You flip out. You freak out. You start thinking this crazy thing. That slavery... It's better that you'd rather be a slave than deal with what you're having to deal, than face what you're having to face. It's the, it's the lie that the enemy tries to get you to believe. It's the lie that the Israelites were believing in this moment. We're better off as slaves in Egypt, they said. They hadn't realized or internalized the fact that God was fighting for them. And he would continue to fight for them. Mountains, obstacles, enemies, noise. It was all just combining to keep them from being still and letting God do the work. What I'm saying is that self-reliance produces fear over faith and panic over peace. Self-reliance produces fear over faith and panic over peace. And yet we're all about self-reliance, aren't we? I mean, we are all about it. We, we want to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and work it out and, and, and reach deep into ourselves and, and figure this thing out. But self-reliance isn't the path that we should go. And listen, the, the Israelites would, would panic again. <clears throat> they would let fear control them and doubt control them again, no doubt. Even just right after the Red Sea thing, they start to complain again to God because they think he's not going to give them any water to drink. It's this crazy back and forth. But in this moment in our story, in this account, the Israelites kind of get it. Even if it's just for a moment, they kind of get it. Look at verse 30 of chapter four, 14. It says, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord. And they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. So they had, they had faith. They believed. And not just not just in the Lord, but in, in the leader that he had put over them. Listen, beloved, I don't, know, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you will face. I don't know what you are facing, but I know this. You cannot face it alone. You absolutely cannot face it alone. There will be a day, if it hasn't come already, when you will look up and find yourself surrounded the Red Sea in front of you, Pharaoh's army coming behind you. And in that moment where things are impossible, in that moment, if you reach deep into your soul and find there only you, only yourself, then a deep sense of loneliness will overtake you. 
And the volume on the voice of fear will be cranked up to an unbearable level. And you'll do the only thing that you know to do. You'll panic. Because you don't see a way out of this. You don't see a way to fix this in your own strength. You'll run. And you may even choose slavery. Addiction. Sin. Abuse. Over facing what you're facing. Because you don't see a way out. Beloved, there's another way. The Israelites scream at Moses, say, yell at him, what? were there not enough graves in Egypt? They're complaining. And the way I read Moses' response, it's like, he's, he's, like he's, a, he's a dad talking to a kid. I mean, just, I, I imagine he's just kinda, he just kind of smirks. He, he kind of shakes his head. And he's just like, guys, just be still. Just stand firm. Just don't move. Shh. Be silent. God's going to do this. Just, just wait. You'll see. Just wait. In 2 Kings 6, when Elisha's servant is panicking and he doesn't know what to do and he feels like they're going to die, I imagine Elisha using that same tone and just going, hey, buddy, just calm it down, all right? Just calm it down. Those who are with us, are way more than those who are with them. Then he prays that God would open his eyes so that he could see. The Lord was fighting for them. The Lord was fighting for them. He was fighting their battles. Fast forward about 1,500 years, and you've got one of these descendants, one of the descendants from Exodus chapter 14, writing a letter. His name is John, and he's writing a letter uh, to some new believers in Jesus who are facing impossible odds. They're surrounded by their enemy. They're facing crazy things like persecution and heresy, and they're starting to let this voice of fear take over and this doubt take over, and they're starting to panic. And, and so he says this in 1 John Chapter 4, verse 4, the Apostle John writes, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Moses said, the Lord fights for you. Elisha said, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And now the Apostle John is saying, that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You see, John had been witness to something that had transformed his life about 50 years before he's writing this letter in 1 John. He witnessed God fight and win a battle. But this time, it wasn't a battle to save a prophet and a servant. It wasn't a battle even to save his people, the people, the one people group. It was a, it was a battle to save mankind. You see, John had been witness to Jesus Christ defeating death, sin, and Satan once and for all by dying on a cross and rising or raising back to life. Defeating death. <laughs> the Lord fights for them. The Egyptians had no idea how right they were. But in that verse in 1 John, there's, there's been a change, right? It's different than Exodus or even 2 Kings 
6. It's different. Something has changed. Now it's not just God is with us. Now it's not that God's armies are with us. But he goes, he that is in you, he that is in you, if you've given your life to Christ, if you've confessed your need for him and invited him to lead your life, to be the Lord of your life, then now Christ lives in you. He's not just with you, he's in you. So follow me here. If you face, when you face impossible odds like confusion or depression or the loss of a loved one, family difficulties, financial crisis, when you face whatever it is that shakes you to your core, now you reach deep inside of yourself and you find in you, not just you, but Christ. And that changes things. Because while finding only yourself, when you're facing impossible odds, finding only you in you produces fear, finding in you Christ, that produces faith. And it changes things. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Or as the Egyptians said, the Lord fights for you. The Lord fights for you. So what are you facing? As a Christ follower, if you're facing impossible odds, you should reach inside of yourself and find there not just self, but Savior, you should find there your, your Savior. What I'm saying is that reliance on yourself produces fear. But reliance on the Savior produces faith. Reliance on yourself produces fear, but reliance on the Savior, that produces faith. So what, what are you facing? I don't know what it is. Maybe it's horrible. Maybe you're facing, maybe you feel like the odds are against you. Maybe you don't see a way out. Maybe it's just horrible. Maybe you feel like your back is up against a wall and you're cornered. Maybe you feel like you're choking. You can't catch a breath. And your pulse is just screaming in your mind. Fear screaming in your heart. You feel like your vision is clouding up. Maybe you are surrounded by your enemy. I don't know what you're going through, but I know this. If you've given your life to Jesus, if you've surrendered your life to him, if you've said, God, I want you to lead my life and not me, if you've given your life to Jesus, I know this. He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. He that is in you is greater than whatever you're facing. He that is in you is greater than your sin. He that is in you is greater than your doubt. He that is in you is greater than your fear. He that is in you is greater than the family difficulty that you're having with your kids or your parents. He that is in you is greater, amen? amen? He that is in you is greater than anything you'll face. He that is in you is greater than your illness. He that is in you is greater than the doctor's prognosis. He that is in you is greater than the marital issues that you're struggling with. He that is in you is greater than the that you keep running back to. He that is in you is greater than your weakness, your insecurity, your doubt, and your fear. He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Amen? Amen. 
He's greater. He's greater. Listen, listen, beloved. Let, let the words of Moses from some 1,500 years ago, let them be for you today. The Lord fights for you. You have only to stand firm. Be still. Be silent. Look around you and see. Trust. At all of our campuses, Germantown Online, Washington, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your goodness and your mercy to us. God, we thank you that you fight our battles. That there are more for us than against us. That you, who are in us, you're greater than he that is in the world. We thank you for those truths. God, I pray that those who are Christ followers in this room, God, that you would help them to let this truth create faith and action in their lives. That whatever it is that they're facing, that they're struggling with, impossible situations and odds that just look insurmountable. God, I pray that they would reach deep and find you there. And that that would produce faith. That they would follow the the command of Moses to just stand firm. Be still. Be silent. Don't listen to the voice of fear and doubt. Instead, listen to that voice of faith. I pray that they would leave this place, Christ followers, struggling with a difficult situation, impossible, insurmountable, that each of them would leave this place encouraged knowing that you fight our battles. I want to pray also, God, for those who are here in this room who God would, that they've never given their lives over to you. They've only ever relied on themselves because that's all they know. That's all that's inside of them. And they're plagued by anxiety and worry and panic, fear. The voice of fear is, is not only loud, but it's constant and consistent in their mind and their heart. It is totally taken up residence because there's no one else there besides them. So I pray that today, for those people, that today would be the day of their salvation. That, like Moses said, that you, they would... Look up and see. See their salvation is coming. That they would see you. See your spirit. See your son, Jesus. That today would be the day of their salvation. So as we continue in an attitude of prayer with our eyes closed and our heads bowed, maybe, maybe you're in this room and, and that's you. You've, you haven't given your life to Jesus and so when you reach deep inside yourself in a time of trial and difficulty, you, you find there only you and you end up succumbing to fear and panic. Maybe, maybe you want to give your life to Jesus today. If that's you, you can just say a prayer like this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I, I invite you into my life. You take over. I don't want to control my life anymore. I want you to. I'm imperfect, I'm sinful. 
I'm on my way to hell and destruction and death. I need you, Jesus. Transform me. Make me new. Maybe just say a prayer like that. You ask the Holy Spirit to live in you so that you rely on him instead of yourself and you you cultivate faith instead of fear in your life. If that's you, we're gonna have prayer workers that'll be ready after our last song on the sides of the room. They would love to pray for you. They've got an I've decided packet they'll give you. They'll talk you through that. They'll be there to help you in this decision. Maybe you can get baptized next month when we do baptisms again. We'll walk you through that. We'll help you in that journey. Lord, I pray for those who would make that decision now. I pray that you would have many in this room cross that finish line of faith, give their lives to you, and that they would feel, they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you, Jesus, live in them and that you fight for them, that those that are for them are more than those that are against them, that you who are in them, you're greater than he that's in the world. Help us, God, defeat. May you defeat that voice of fear in our hearts and minds. We love you, Jesus. We give all this to you. We praise your name. It's in your name that we pray. Everybody said amen.